This is the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! The only podcast where the host actually admits to driving a minivan. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be And now your host, TJ. And welcome back to the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. This is episode 22. We're going to call it an extra special episode tonight because I have brought in podcasting legend Brian, also known as O'Leary's Cow. And if you can hear any voices behind me, that would be my 18-month-old daughter who's having trouble sleeping. So we have two guests going tonight. So, Brian, how are you doing? It has been, I mean, the last time I got to talk to you was in the parking lot at a fire game. So it has been a while. It's been a while. I mean, how far back? That's got to be, I haven't gone to a fire game in at least two years. It was last, it was uh, previous season, yeah. Okay, so wow. Been, yeah, been you were there with your, you went to a couple games early with your boy, and so, then they, and then the team kind of went down, the, as they went downhill, you just said, yeah, this ain't worth it, so. As they do, as they do, they tend to go downhill every year. It starts out, you're excited, and then uh, halfway through the season, you're like, what, what the hell am I doing here? Why do I keep coming? Well, I keep coming because, uh, to be honest, I mean, and I've talked about this many times on e- either US Fan TV or here on the Minivan Dad Pod. My family likes going, so we go. You know, oh, and, I don't blame you. It's fun. It's a good time. You know, it's going to be. Uh, I'm excited about the new management. I'm actually very excited about that. I and, and I and I'm not going to disagree with that. I I've been one that defends Houtman to a level probably more than most. I'm not Don level of apologetic for Houtman. I I. I feel like Houtman got in on the cheap because the product was in disarray. I think he did a lot of things to repair it behind the scenes, but the on the field, he didn't. He destroyed the on the field, and ultimately, I think that was the downfall. But it, with Joe Mansueto, I'm ex- I'm incredibly excited for Mansueto. I, I I am excited about that. I, from my own personal perspective, and I've talked about it, I'm not a fan of the move to Soldier Field. I don't know if the demand is there with the way they've been playing the last few years, but I love the ambition i think it's great and i'm excited to see what happens so that said um you had on the other hand had a different opinion of of one andrew houtman yeah i've had a i've had many a run-in with uh good old andy me and uh people that i've worked with in the past and it left a less than good taste in our mouth we'll just put it that way there's a reason that a lot of us that used to cover the fire no longer will have anything to do with the team. In fact, if you go back and you think about most all of us that covered the fire, almost all of us are gone now besides uh, Guillermo. I mean, pretty much everybody's gone. You know what? And that's, and that's a valid point. I, um, I gotta, I'm, I gotta look at my own profile. Cause I want to see, I joined Twitter in October, 2011. And I think that's when I got to know you and uh, you and Scooter was, yeah. was when we got, when I got, um, when I got blocked by Tinfoil Ted because I we referred to his mom in a turkey baster a little too. Yes. Often. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he. I'm still blocked by him, and I oh, so every right. chance oh. that I can get, every chance I get, I try to get people to tweet at him about a turkey baster, and he <laughs> still gets upset. He has not forgotten. So anyone who's listening to the show, if you want to tweet at Tinfoil Ted, just ask him about the turkey baster. I guarantee that it will be entertaining. There's. No doubt in my mind, you will be entertained at what will soon ensue after that. 
that was, I think, the first shenanigans that it was, like it says, me, you and Scooter, was all three of us got him in one night. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And it was after a fire game. It was after a late season fire game. That was where we were at. And that was before I had kids. That's how far back that goes. So Yeah, that was, uh, that was, cla- I still, I think I still had hair then. I don't know. <laughs> it's since awful. I look, I gave up the fight. Now I'm just, I'm shaving it with a straight razor. I'm done because it's like, when I let this stuff grow out, TJ, it's, I'm embarrassing, like, my extended family. It's bad. I mean, dude, it's, I'll walk my moms with their kids, and they're clutching their children. I, I look like a total perf when I grow my hair out. It's it's totally bad. So we're going straight, clean razor now. And, you know, my, my younger brother started doing that. Um, got to 18, 19. His hair started falling out, so he just stopped fighting it. And same thing. And he every once in a while, he'll go back to just the, the razor where he just hits it every couple of days and keeps it, like, buzzed at a zero guard, but Dude, yeah. Hold up, let's let's back this up. When was he going bald? He started going bald before he was eighteen. I mean, his hair just it never cooperated with him. Oh so, my lord! And my That's... mom, a true story. My mom made him grow his hair out for his senior pictures. So he did, <laughs> and he he looked like you know the trolls that you put on the top of your pencil and you'd spin yes. it around the hair go poof. He grew his yes. hair out kind of like that. So he gets his senior pictures done, and he he probably tells the story better than I do. But on the way home. He stops at a bar at a at a barber shop and says, "Cut it all." Oh, I bet. I Comes bet. back in with his hair gone. I'm talking, I think, even straight razor or close to it. And my mom walks in and said, "So help me God, if your pictures, any of your pictures look like this, you'll be paying for your in your pictures out of your own pocket." Now, to an 18 year old kid, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's funny, man. That's uh, that's crazy. No, I've been digging your show. I've been. Listening to it and enjoying it, I love the name. The uh, what is it? The minivan dad it's soccer minivan, pod. It's minivan dad soccer pod. I mean, I, I I've got That's a soccer a... problem. You know, and you know that. And the the running tag is um. The actually, I'm actually the only dad that will admit to driving a minivan. I believe Mark Wahlberg does too, but I drive a minivan. And I've told the stories to you know, I've got three kids, so you need a third row of seats. And everybody tells me, oh, you just get an SUV with the third row of seats. Well, my kids are all seven and under. What do small kids do with car doors that open wide? They yep. open them wide. And what are yep. they going to do? They're going to knock the they're going to knock the crap out of every other car around it. What do minivans have? Sliding doors, lower to the ground, easier for small kids to get in and out of. So we have two but, minivans. But and, you know what? The, you know what they have that you didn't mention? They have street cred. Did you got like, some serious street cred if you roll up in a minivan? And, and, mine's, and I have a Mazda 5. I, I always call it a half-ass minivan because it's a small car. It's probably not much, it, it, but it's got a third row of seats. Now, could I fit in the third row of seats? No, not really. But my small my small kids can. So so I have a minivan. I have a small minivan with military, with Afghan license plates on it. So you really want the, <laughs> the oh, you're going to make fun of my minivan? Yeah, well, I, I went to Afghanistan, so... That's yeah. That's that's a that'll uh, stop the conversation pretty quick, as it should. And and we took and we and we so we have mine, which is Mazda five, and then we have a Toyota Sienna. We took the Sienna across Arizona this year, and I'll, I'll tell you, with the three kids, it worked just fine. I mean, driving yeah. across country. And do we now? I will say the one thing catch we have. We didn't get the fully pimped out one with the screens and the headrests and all that stuff. And we didn't for a reason. And the reason we didn't is we simply just didn't want the kids to be able to watch it, watch TV every day in the car. When we go on road trips, we hook the, we hook the screens up with the portable, with the wires everywhere and they can watch movies that way. But 
on day-to-day use? Nope. No screens. Uh, I don't blame you on that. But, yeah, the past couple of years, man, I I pretty much been doing the minivan dad thing. I've been coaching. You know, I don't even have kids on the team. I'm, like, coaching 7th and 8th graders now and having a good time and just kind of hanging out. Although I will say, man, 7th and 8th graders are total jagoffs. They're, like, the worst <laughs> people on the face of the earth to deal with. So, so it, for it, instance... Go ahead. I'm at, no, I'm at practice tonight. Okay. And I'm scrimmaging with these kids and I'm doing everything. And uh, I don't know if you ever coach kids. At the end, we'll always scrimmage and we play against kids and stuff. Of course. So they want me to be striker because they all want to stop me. So whatever. I'm dribbling down the field. I hit the ball. This kid, I'm not going to mention his name. I hit it a little heavy and he's playing defense. He sees the ball. He looks at me. He sizes me up as I'm going after the ball and I'm going to get it. It's a 50 50 on the ground. TJ, he boots this ball as hard as he can and hits me right in the beanbag. I mean, and he knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> and he puts me up down how, on the turf. This kid this kid should get promoted to if he's in academy, he should be going national team. I mean, he that's a small target to hit. Dude, I mean, he, 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 that's a he tiny target. <laughs> he hit me so hard there, put me down. And all of these kids are the biggest assholes you've ever met. They're all laughing. They're all looking at me. I'm their coach, and they're all just like they're they're hooting and hollering, and they think it's hilarious now, that they put coach down on the deck. Now roll, nuts. Roll, roll reverse. You're one of those kids. Aren't oh heck, even the adult version, you'd be doing the same thing. That's if if I took oh, no. one in the seats, you'd be, you'd be doing the same thing, laughing your head off. Oh, without a doubt. No, I didn't get mad at him. I got up and gave him five, and then I promptly <laughs> nutmegged him and scored a goal on him the next shift. <laughs> But wow. uh, no, the kids are cool. It's it's nice going and coaching the kids again. The sure. the only problem with coaching kids is the parents. Man, parents suck. They're like the worst people in the world to deal with. Anytime you coach younger kids, whether it's just local community ball or academy ball or whatever, the the soccer parents are literally the worst people on the face of the earth to deal with because you're trying to teach these kids the proper way to play the game and you have these parents on the sideline screaming the most asinine stuff you've ever heard at the kid to do. And they're teaching them absolutely ridiculous stuff and calling you after the game and letting you know just stupid stuff. My kid didn't get enough time or this and that. And it's, it's the worst. The kids are great. The parents are terrible. It, well, and I'm going to, I'm going to start on this on two parts of this one. I'm married to a, te- um, a, a teacher that a science teacher teaches fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth grade science. So, Talking about that age of kids, she deals with them every day. And to this day, I have no idea how she does it. She's been doing it for years. I, I don't even know how you do it. That age of kids, I've refereed them. They are impossible because they are mouthy as all get out. But I honestly don't know if they know what they're talking about half the time. They don't. But, I mean, let's think about it. I'm pretty mouthy. So, I'm like. Well, the, yeah, you fit right I'm, in. <laughs> I'm basically like their hero because I'm just a grown up. You're a grown child is what you are. I am. I'm just a a balding, middle-aged child. I would say the children probably have a better education than me, but uh, I'm not going to tell them that. No, there's some things that don't need to be said. Um, But, you know, and it's funny you talk about being a soccer parent because we just finished my oldest. And I do. I still do. I coach a little bit and it's not as much as I'd like to because I still have my military commitment. But I have. You know, this last weekend, my seven-year-old was in a tournament in Woodridge, and his team won the tournament. 
Oh, sweet. So, and it was it was awesome. They they it's funny. They um I think the club posted scored 17 goals over the course of the tournament or something like that. You know, what I was more impressed with on the Sunday, which was the semifinals in the championship. They didn't give up a goal. I was more yeah. impressed with the defense in it than I was. And this is U9. I mean, this is U9 travel ball. And it's, you know, you talk about the parents and the side. I swear, and I've told the, am I one that coaches a little bit on the sideline? Yeah. But I, I don't, I think my, my things when I talk to the kids are pretty much what you'd find if you've done the U.S. soccer grassroots stuff. Hey, look for green space. Play, you know, cross the ball. It's not, it's never anything more than that. And it's always a lot of clapping and just cheering for these kids. And I never, I never get critical of them if they make a mistake or anything like that. It's, hey, look for space, look for your passes, things like that. It's never more detailed than that. And if, I think if you do that, but I, what I feel is I do know what you're talking about because there are, there are parents that I've watched that get into it and, yell at them to shoot, things like that, and it's just like, <sighs> you, and then get mad about things, and it's just like, these are nine-year, these are eight, nine-year-old boys. Yeah. They, well, uh, and, at, at this point, you know, they'll do things like kick, cross it, take the back pass right across, you know, the, when they're playing, trying to play out of the back, cross it back across the middle. I've watched countless goals given up that way. Yep. And, the parents are like, everything needs to go down the sideline. I'm like, no. Like, well, down the sideline's open every time. I said, at U9, it will be. You get to a high level of U13 or U14 or beyond, that's going to be taken away. You better have every tool in your bag. And it's easier to practice it and get used to it and get comfortable with it at U9 than it is at U13, U14 when you're trying to adjust on the fly. And that's what I always tell people. It's, it, it, I saw something on Facebook about this. Younger soccer, U8, U9, whatever, it's your te- It's kind of like teaching your kids how to color. If you sit there and tell them, hey, use the red crayon color here, use the blue crayon color here, they're going to do it and it's going to be okay. But they're not going to really learn how to do it. Whereas if you let them just say, here's a box of crayons, do what you want. When it gets older, they're going to have be able to do things that you didn't know was possible because they've learned it at a young age. And that's kind of how I feel. I'll, I've watched them give up goals that... They have no business giving up, except that they're they do things at eight and nine years old, and I think it'll serve them better in the long term because they're learning how to play the game, they're learning how to play out of the back, they're learning to make passes that aren't always just bomb the ball down the field. And when this and this team has got enough talent that when they spread the field out, they run people around and they're starting to figure that out. But if you aren't knocking the ball, trying to knock the ball around, and sometimes making bad passes, you're never going to learn how to make the good ones. No, and that's at that age, and honestly, at all the ages for youth soccer, that's how it should be coached. Like when I coach kids, I sure, I mean, I like to win, but we don't, I don't coach kids to win. I coach kids to teach the game to be played properly, to spread mm-hmm. the ball around, to play tick attack of soccer. Not this, a big problem we have in the United States these days, and I see it in high school soccer all the time. I had a kid that just graduated, and then I've got another son who's in high school now. They play dump and chase soccer, and it absolutely kills me. And that's what we're teaching our kids in this country is hit the long ball and get a fast striker to chase it down. And it's in the MLS. You watch the MLS, and they play the same way. There's very few teams in MLS that actually play the pretty game and hit small passes. And this is a huge detriment to soccer in the United States. And honestly, I think this is probably one of the biggest problems 
that we have nationwide in our game is we have not taught the kids starting at five years old, starting at six years old, the proper way to pass the ball, the proper way to look for passes. And instead of looking down the field to create plays through triangulation on the field, that's the way the game's played properly. I know this is boring for listeners to listen to, but anyone who's a coach understands that. Or if you don't, you probably need to brush up on your coaching tactics because that's the way the game's played. Have you done any of the U.S. soccer courses? Yeah. Have you done, yeah. Yep. Have, you looked at, have you done the new grassroots ones at all? I have not done those, no. Okay, and what you're stepping into is, and I have, I've done the 4v4 and the 7v7, and I need to do the 9, 9v9 and 11v11, but you have to do them in person, and my time just hasn't fit into sure. that. But I will tell you, they are U.S. soccer is making a big push towards exactly what you're saying. They talk about they talk about the game, especially at the four v four and the seven v seven level, in very simplistic terms. And they it's the play practice play model, and it's you start with the scrimmage, but every practice has a theme that you're working towards. Is it taking the ball, um, attacking the goal, um, defending the goal, or you know things like it's whatever they're and I I don't remember all the details, but they are making a move towards that, and then. Of course, at the younger kid levels, they they have the play outline, so they are yeah. they are making an effort to do that. But you, you're right; you still see coaches that just just bomb it out of the back anyway. And, yeah. I, and I and I this is why I love the club my son plays for is they teach played out of the back, Keep and that's how it's supposed to be played. And I've watched them; their kids as they've grown, you know, their U nines, U tens, U elevens get bombed by everybody in the area, and then we hit thirteen or fourteen. They know how to play and they take off. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is a small club. This is a single team per grade or per year, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yet, since I think they've been around about 20 years, give or take, maybe yeah, about 30, 20, 30, yeah, maybe even less than that. And they've put 30 kids into into college soccer. I mean, so they're doing some things right. And so it's impressive to see some of those things. But they always kept, and that's why I want, you know, as a referee, you know, I was a referee. I got to see every club in the area. I chose the club I did because I felt like they taught soccer. Mm-hmm. Above all else, not winning, they taught soccer. The winning yep. comes, the winning will come. But I, you're, you've you hit the nail on the head. It's the ticky tack, the the TikTok just moved the ball around. And I think back to things my coach said. And this, God, you know, we're going back to the '80s and '90s. It was. Just keep knocking the ball around. If you pass the ball around, you won't lose because you're yeah. going to frustrate them. Doesn't always have to be forward. Doesn't always have to be backwards. Just keep. You find somebody open, you pass the ball. Mm-hmm. Find somebody open, pass. You keep doing that. You're going to run them around, and you are going to win every game going away. And he wasn't wrong. No, that's that's the way the game has always been played, and that's how it should be played. I think another problem that we have with youth soccer in this country is that. People are in too big of a rush to play 11-sided games. I think kids, honestly, I feel like kids all the way up till high school should be playing small-sided games. I think it should be 5v5, 8v8. I think 11v11 is too much field, too much space, and not enough touches on the ball for the kids before probably age 15. And I think, and I think, isn't it? It's thirteen now. I think when they go to eleven v eleven, unless you're at top level of U twelve, I believe, or U eleven and U 
12 goals. Yeah, but even that's even that's still too young. I think kids mm-hmm. should be touching the ball a lot more, and I really and it, would like to see U.S. soccer move to an 8v8 or even even more small-sided games than that so kids can play on a more compact field, work on their passing, work on their touches, and work sure. on their footwork. No, and and I and I think you're 100 percent right, and and I do like the fact that they have made that effort. That it's for U8s, it's four v four. For U10s, it's seven v seven. For U11, U12, it's nine v nine. And then I think it goes to eleven. But I wouldn't, and I don't disagree. I think eight v eight at U11 and 12, and then nine v nine at U13, U14. I don't think is a bad idea. I I think that's a, and I agree. It's it's touches on the ball. It's letting them develop creativity on their own. And that's, I think, one of the big things they've made that emphasis towards is less, hey, look for Johnny, pass to Johnny. Look, Johnny, you get the ball, pass to Bobby. It's look for space. Yeah. Run, run into sp- it's It's a lot more vague and theor- conceptual and letting the players figure it out on the go. And their big push is play. A lot of practices should be, you're playing. And I could not agree with, I could not agree with that more in the simple sense of how many kids, do you know, that quit playing soccer because they played too many games. Yeah. Did total burnout. Well, there's, I'm, I'm telling you, my kid mm-hmm. who's in high school now is going through complete burnout. Too he's many played, games. he's played too games much as practice. a kid. Both. He, he was in club and played year round for years. Mm-hmm. And now he's in high school and it's practice every day. And, He's going through major burnout. I think he's working his way through it. I think he's going to be fine. But sure. we're having a lot of athletes in this country and a lot of soccer players that we push them so hard sure. and we make them play so much, they, they just stop playing because they're just they're done. They're completely sick of it. They're mm-hmm. tired of the shit, and they're like, I'm, this is it. I'm out. Okay. And, 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 and I, can, I think back to – this goes back again when I was a kid. We had – and I and I was on a swim club, and this is a different sport, but it, I I think the story is the same. Is he was within a tenth of setting a national record as a ten year old, and by the time I think he hit thirteen, he was done. Yeah, burned out of swimming. And he went on. I think he was an an all state, all region football player. And, you know, wound up being a great. He it was he was so into swimming, so into swimming, and then he came with, with us once on a Friday. To where when we went and played little league, my brother and I, my older brother and I, and him and two of two of his other, other swimming friends sat and watched us play, and he got done and he all of a sudden wanted to play baseball, and he wanted yeah. to play baseball and then he played baseball and then he played football and he went back and swam one more year but just to prove he couldn't he was still one of the best out he was still the best out there, but this kid went on and he he was done, but I I guess where I was getting to is. The practices now, even the, the practices at U.S. soccer, they're making an emphasis on playing games, yeah. playing soccer. Like you said, I said, and you look around the world, you look at where these Argentina, Brazil, it's not structured practices, it's the pickup games. And I feel like that's what U.S. soccer is doing under the guise of a structured practice of getting more gameplay in. Because like I said, I don't think kids burn out from playing games. They burn out from practice and regiment. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't disagree with that at and, all. I mean, at, it, the same, it, at the same time, like I said, I, I know with my son, and with and we're going to keep it that way. He still plays baseball. He still plays basketball. He still does scouts. And you know what? If he misses a practice or he misses a game because he has these other things, 
that's how life is. And our coaching staff and our team, our club is wonderful that way. Oh, you're going to miss a game because you have a basketball game or you have a baseball game? Okay. They don't hold it against them because they, they also agree with the concept of you want kids to have other experiences so they don't burn out. Yep. So they and, and you know what? Those athletes usually become better soccer players because they can see things differently and do other things. So sure, there's something to be said with that, too. Sure. All right. So. <laughs> All right, we beat what that. do you think? What do you think about the fire? What do you think about the uh, about the big sell from Andy Hoffman to Mansueto and the move? And are you I, I, buying this? Like, okay, everybody's all hunky dory and everybody's happy right now with Joe Mansueto just because he's not Andrew Hoffman and he's doing all the right things. He's a he's, he's a Chicago guy. Let's start with that. He's got. I watched him interviewed. I, I read the inter- every interview he did with like Guillermo, the ones he did with um, with the Daily Herald, with the Tribune. I, I read I read through and a lot of them were the same, but it's the same. You know, it was Sanlo, and it just. Dude, what I'm getting at is it genuine? Is it I genuine? Think I, he, he's a Chicago. You read and I watched him talk. He has a Chicago attitude. He has that attitude, and I think that's great. Um, I think it's incredible, just because I hate Andrew Hopman with a freaking passion. I, I I completely gave up on the team because of the man. He's he, and I'm I'll, so happy I'll, he's gone now because I'll come back. I'll, without a doubt, I'll get tickets for next year. I'll be now, there. You know, I'm debating picking up a mic again and talking about him. Did you? Um, well, if you want a mic, we I always have one here. I've, I've told you that <laughs> you always have an open spot. And if this becomes one night a week, it becomes the the O'Leary's Cal Soccer Pot. Hell, I'll pay for it and let you guys keep doing it. I care less about that. So that said, it's interesting because I watched you and Scooter get pushed away. You know, mm-hmm. um, O'Connor, it, it, I'd say Brenda, but Brenda keeps showing up anyway. You know, um, the attorney, I mean, he stopped. <laughs> All these guys that we that we got together with, with OTF yeah. went away. Yeah, well, and it's not only us. You have there's quite and a few I'm, people I'm that gave up. When did you start going to fire games? Was it at pre-renovation Soldier Field or was it post Naperville? Where did you start showing up? Uh, the first year. Okay, I because I was in the barn burners. I guess that I've, I've told this before. I'm barn burner number one ten. That's how far back I go. And it's interesting to see a couple of the guys. Don Crafts, who was the I think started the barn burners. Fonzos, who was one of the first. Um, capos for uh, Section 8, you know, when it's Section 8. And the reason why it's Section 8, for those who don't know, is because the section we sat in was Section 8 of original Soldier Field Priest, mm-hmm. pre-mothership landing on it. Because yep. it, it was the cheapest seats closest to the middle of the field. That's why we chose those. I, I, if I, I went back to that correctly. And OB, but Fonzos and Don, and Don Kraft specifically, have both come out and said, with Mansueto buying the team, they're now back on back on board. They're going to start going. They're going to get and you know, watch the games, go to games, so on and so forth. I'm so, hoping. I'm hoping it brings back a lot of the original fans and a lot of us old school guys will start coming back. I mean, he's saying all the right stuff, and he, I'm seeing these rumors of him possibly bringing in Andres Guardado. And look, I think Guardado is a little long in the tooth, but if you want to put butts in a stadium. I can't think of a much better name than I don't even know if Chicharito is a better name than him now, but you would definitely put asses in the seats if you got him. No, I, I, and I think you're, and I'm going to use another name out of, out of 
Liga MX, uh, out of Liga MX, Giniac. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get it. He's not, he's not Mexican, but he's a great player. But he's, he's getting a little. I, I'm I think telling I you, think I, when you're talking about butts in the seats, I think if you want that splash impact, unless you're going out and buying some Brazilian, Argentine, like like Atlanta United has that you may not know, but you're paying a pretty penny for him, so everybody in the world knows who he is. Sure. That's what you got to go for, and I you, you need to make and. Why did it work two years when, when Basti came in? Basti came in, they started winning. So people yeah. start showing up again. And when they it's stopped, it, they it's funny it. how that works. When you win, people come. I think they need to possibly get a name like that. Although Nico Gaetan's a big name as well. He's just not a big name in the United States. But if they get a big name like that to come in, they also need to work on their scouting ability. And they need to get young players. And more so than get young players, they need to develop they're academy players, and, 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 which they don't even now, have an academy now. Now you're getting, now you're getting, no. And there are some great academy feeders from the Chicago land area. You've got soccer, you've got some other ones um, that are massive clubs that can do these things. But they do. You're right. They need their own academy system. They need their own USL team. Um, they need to. They have a stadium in Bridgeview that's going to go unused. I guarantee they can make a deal with Bridgeview and put a USL side in there, or yeah. go out to, or go right back out to Naperville, and put a USL side in there. They need a USL side. And, and you look at the teams that have, it, they have built their own academy systems. They built them up. And you look at the one, the one I look at is you look at Red Bulls. Their USL side is phenomenal. And every one of those guys steps into the big team that are good on the, on Red on the baby bulls. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, and who did it before that? The galaxy. I mean, the galaxy, how many players came up through there from galaxy Two when they were like the only USL two side in there and look where a they're lot. at. Yeah. A lot. It's, it's, it, a, it's a cheap, it's a cheap pipeline of talent is what it is. It is. And it's, I think the problem with Hoffman, he, I've always said this and a lot of people disagreed with us from the beginning. Hoffman was in it for money. At first it started as a vanity project for him, but then it got to the point. I think he started seeing the valuation of teams and what they were being sold for. And, Let's not pull any punches here. He made out like a fucking bandit oh, when he just sold that team to Joe Mansueto. I mean, he he ended up making almost tenfold what he paid for the team, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? That's about. I, I believe it was about thirty mil what he bought it from from Anschutz, and and that's why I said, and that's why I defend Help. And I agree, Helpman ultimately saw that. I think how was he? He was a. He was a soccer player, though, at one point, correct? I don't even know. I know he made horseshit movies, and I know well, he yeah, was just a rich boy who hung out, and his wife was loaded. I, you know what? I don't really want to talk about him okay. because I'm going to get I'm indigestion, fine. and I'm just going to get upset and end up yelling. All right. I, I guess my, where I was going to defend him was he bought a product that was pretty much stripped down to nothing. He had to rebuild a lot of things off the field, his, him and his side. And that's where a lot of the things that people don't realize, it was building new corporate relationships. It was building things like that. And he did that. I, I felt like he never... But in the, but in the same time, and he spent, burned so many bridges with the local people. Correct. He, it, again, now we were talking about this with, the, with Mansueto and building USL and so on and so forth, a cheap pipeline of talent. He had a ton of... Of free media 
or media working on the cheap for things like OTF. You know, yeah. like you said, well, um, Hot Time in Old Town used to do a ton of stuff. And he pissed them all off. And I, you're right. It, that was, these are the ones that go out and say, come watch us. And oh, yeah. you're right. He pissed them all, and he pissed them off. And, I, and that was a poor, because, because there's, because we were funny. Because, mm-hmm. you know, were our jokes funny? Probably not. We thought they were. Our jokes were hilarious. Yeah, I would yours, still, dude, I will still to this day say that that was that was the funniest podcast I've ever listened to. Not even soccer podcast. That podcast, I still listen to old episodes and just crack okay. up. It's talking, it's hilarious. The reboot. You're talking okay. all of them. All oh, of yeah. them were good. Yeah, dude. they were all funny. Well, it, and I can I think back to the original run you and Scooter went on. I was due to come on, and that's when the club shut you guys down. Dude, we had we had major problems, like stuff we never even put on air. Problems with the club. It was it was insane the stuff that we dealt with with them, and it you know it ultimately put a lot of friction between us and ended up costing us our friendship. And I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah, but, and, <laughs> and 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 when you guys did the reboot, did you run into the same problems, or was it? Are you still go back to the first run? They like you know what? Yeah, they shut we, you down midweek. We did run into the same problems on the reboot, but it was different because at that point, we really didn't even trust them. We didn't trust them and didn't try to work with them. And if you think about going in the way back machine, back mm-hmm. when you know we were doing. Our thing. You had Guillermo and Jeff doing their thing. You had Tweet Thornton doing Hot Time in Old Town. We were all completely invested in this team and covering them very well. I mean, there were very few teams in the United States that had the type of coverage for soccer that we were given them. And we were totally shut down. Back when Brendan Hannon was there, things were good. Right. Brendan would all give us passes and he would take care of us. We had press passes. But Something happened at some point, and uh, we all got completely shut out. Yeah, yeah. I, and I and I remember that. Like I said, it was the first time I was ever going to go on. It was the original run of the show. I was due to come on that week, and had made plans, had set it all up, and all of a sudden, you guys go, "Yeah, we're canceled. We got shut up. We're not doing the show anymore." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" And yeah. I think Scooter. And I think Scooter eventually posted about what happened. Yeah, but, I don't think we ever actually put all the all of the information up but i think you guys got the uh the gist of most of it right they definitely wasn't all of it what they were working with you guys to actually do the saturday morning show except that you had to kiss their ass a little too much and i mean that's i don't even i don't even remember the ins and outs of all of that and it's not and it really and it really isn't worth remembering at this point i mean so I, i guess kind of to go back come back full circle to the original point what do i think of it i think this is great this is a chance to reboot yeah. This is a chance to rebuild it. Do I necessarily agree with Soldier Field? I'm not as sure about that. I mean, I, I and I'm partial to Bridgeview because it's close for me. I fully admit my own selfish reasons I like Bridgeview. Sure. I think it's and but the way man way Joe Mansueto explained it, I became a fan of it. Yeah. Because I kept going, okay, that's great. What's the next play? Yeah. Except I saw something tonight. I don't know what how much. Marty party, but he's talking that open cup games will probably still be in Bridgeview when you got um, 
instead of trying to play on a crappy Soldier Field, you might see some games in Bridgeview still. Sure, I think that could. I think that could probably happen. You know, I, I don't. I don't doubt that one bit. I mean, they're still going to have a working relationship unless that got burned to hell too. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes there. I mean, here's the thing with Andrew Hopman, never underestimate his ability to absolutely destroy relationships. Except I, except I think, I think the relationships the last year, year and a half from once Mansueto bought in, it became all about, it became Mansueto's. And I think he's the one that negotiated the out with Bridgeview. I think he negotiated that. And I think that's why they still have a decent relationship. He bought, he basically bought Bridgeview's debt away and kept it in a good relationship because they're still going to use that as a training facility. They're still going to use that field. Yeah. Red Stars well, are still out there. So, I mean. What a lot of people need to understand is, well, the fire actually leaving Bridgeview is going to save the town a ton of money. Because that town, that town was losing a fortune. Correct. And, and, I've talk, and I talked about it extensively on US Fan TV, and we've, we've brushed upon it here. But it, it reminded me a lot of the deal the Coyotes made with with the with the city of Glendale in Arizona. Yeah, you got a town that built a stadium that couldn't afford a stadium, so therefore, the town the city wasn't making enough to pay the bet the debt service. And I, th- I believe the Coyotes was because the mall wasn't built in time, so that put them behind the curve. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with Bridgeview; they never had the development they were anticipating or were sold that was going to come with it, you know, like the spring, the Springfield monorail to, to quote, go into the <laughs> monorail. And point being is it was crappy for everybody. The fire didn't make enough money to actually be able to spend out of it. So it became a lot of whatever they could cobble together. It wasn't a revenue source like it's supposed to be. And that was, a, and the club, the city wasn't making enough. So it was a bad relationship for everybody. And yeah. I think the, by buying their way out of debt, that helps the, that helps the village. If they use it periodically, that'll be good. As long as he doesn't rename the team and keeps it the Chicago Fire, I'm great with Mansueto. That would be the one thing he could do to piss off the old guard that I think he wants back. Because, yeah, well, because like me, as I was, I was first, you know, the Fire started in 1998. That was my, you know, my first year out. Of, I graduated from college in '98. Well, I'm now 43 years old. Mm-hmm. Three kids. Guess who's going to be the one spending the money at the stadium if he does his job? Yep. I can't agree more with that. I mean, it's it's an exciting move, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen with the team. But, you know, I'm also in the back of my mind, as I think most of the fan base is, still remembering the past. And we're going to be a little trepidatious this time and perhaps not trust so quickly and wait to see what happens. You know, I mean, it's exciting, but... I, I guess the reason why I'll give, I'll give, Mans- I'll give Mansueto my full trust in, for two reasons one he's got about 10 times the money that Houtman does this isn't this isn't about making money for him yeah he number has two, real money he doesn't have like crappy b-movie money number two he's a chicago like i said he's a chicago guy no you listen to him he's got this chicago attitude it's he knows he's in a crowded sports market but he also knows if he wins people will show up and i think he's 100 percent right yeah. And if you look, you look at the Gold Cup final, you look at the the friendly, yes, yes, you are talking. You look at the, what was it, Chivas in America doing a friendly at Soldier Field on a Sunday night, drew 60,000. I mean, mm-hmm. the people are there. Yep. Win some damn games, win some damn trophies, and they'll be back. Yep, they will be. So, I, I think it's just going to. 
have to be patient and hang out and wait. Now, here, here's a question for you. Let me throw this one to you. This is about the team now, and I know you don't follow them as close as I do. Does Basti come back? No. Okay. No. I'll give you a, I'll give you a short answer. No. He's, he's obviously doing it for money now. He's been playing out of position for a couple years. I, I don't see him coming back. I don't see the joy in his game anymore. And, you know, typically in the past when you'd see him play, even back when he played for Bayern, I mean, you would see him smiling and having a good time. I, I don't see that anymore. I see him going through the mechanics of playing the game, and I see him basically showing up for a paycheck. And uh, I don't think... I don't think it's a good business decision for him to come back as far as Mansueto's in because he's aging. His game has slipped substantially. And, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, they need to get a better draw at the stadium. They need to get someone who's going to bring more people because, let's be honest, there's not that many German-Americans as there are. You know, I believe, Americans. I believe all I believe all three designated players are out of contract. Katai is... Uh, Nico, Nico is and Basti is, and I'm gonna I, I'm gonna tell you I think Basti comes back, and I'm gonna tell you why. Okay. Number one, I don't think he's gonna be for four and a half million, but I'll bet you get him for probably he's still gonna be a designated player. He's still gonna get a decent draw. I think he likes living in Chicago. He, him and his wife, they have two young boys that were born in the city. They are a part of the city. They love being able to go out and not be bothered and be able to do those things. And he gets a he gets a decent paycheck to do it. And that, that's why I think he stays. Maybe we'll see. I guess time will tell, and we're going to see who uh, who stays and who goes. But ultimately, I think it's exciting what's happening with the team. Oh, absolutely. Does do they make the playoffs this year? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I would like to say yes. But I, I think when you I'm get going to say no, and, and I, the reason and I, I'm going to say no is because they have to win the next two games, and they need New England to lose the next two games, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, New England took a point on Wednesday, so now they're back on the same number with a really, really soft penalty in stoppage time. I was watching that game. That was terrible. Well, and, and also, New England has more wins than the fire. So if it, gets not, some, right, yeah, so if fire it comes down out, to tiebreaker... But you got to think, if the fire wins out and New England doesn't win games, that that can be fixed. Now, no, I don't think they make it, and, and I think beating um, um, Toronto, I think, is a, is a tough a tough ask. But you take one point out of six from Cincinnati, you don't deserve to make the playoffs. I don't care no. who you are. No, and, but, and it really, it doesn't even matter this year, TJ. I mean, it doesn't matter if they make the playoffs because all of us that are actual diehard fans that are left. We're, this is like we just won the freaking Super Bowl, man. We got a new owner. I mean, we're on cloud fucking nine right now. We don't need to win any games. We've got a new owner. This is like the greatest day ever for Fire fans. And, and I give him a ton of credit. And he, he went down to Cincinnati. I guess he was up around with the visiting, with the visiting fans, like walking around through them. And I, I guess he forced Nelson to go. Mm-hmm. And Nelson, okay. it, I think Nelson's gone. And it's funny. I think Nelson's gone. I'm not as sure about Panovich. Here's okay. Here's the question that I was going to ask you. If you want an intriguing question, all right, is Nelson Rodriguez going to be fired? Yes. I I have to agree with you. The only way I see him not being fired is if the league pushes for him to stay in place. Perhaps, but I I think, and what's funny is I think he goes, and I think the one that has a better chance of staying is Panovich. 
Say what you feel. <sighs> I know you don't watch it. I, I, I don't necessarily think he's tactically astute all the time. I don't necessarily. His guys haven't quit. They haven't. And that's, and that's a lot. And to me, on a team that's been this bad for this long and they haven't quit, that's a testament either to a lot to Dax or it's a testament or it's a testament to Basti. I'm not sure who, but they haven't quit for Pano. And that's, See, that's, and all, that's, the, that's all the fire fans in Chicago are making that sound right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear no, you. I don't, I don't disagree, but I would say if Mansueto really wanted to make a splash and make the fans happy, he would make a move and try to get Eric Winalda. Yep. Because Winalda has pulled, he's made no bones about it. He would yeah, love yeah. to coach the fire. He's always said it. He said it personally to me. I feel, I feel like, before. I hate to say, it, I love Winalda in Las Vegas. I think he is, that is the perfect spot for him. Yeah. Um, and I've talked about it on the show, and I don't know how many of them you went back to listen to. And it's, um, the name I keep, I kept always saying was Corinne Darce with uh, who coaches the French women's national team. And the other one I, right now I put out there, you want to make a splash in this town? Jill Ellis. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. And you know, and again, can with the team that she put through, the, I have been on the one that railed against Jill Ellis. I didn't think she was tactically good. But man, she knew how to manage egos better than everybody. And I think the more I watched this last World Cup with what she did tactically, I thought she maybe went to the defense a little too quick, but she's got a great soccer mind, and I think you want to make a splash, that's the way you do it. Do you know what's really crazy is the Fire had a serious shot at getting Jesse Marsh to be their coach, if you remember. Yes, I do. And now Jesse Marsh is coaching Red Bull Salzburg and Champions League. I know. (laughs) So, all I'm saying is that... There's enough alumni out there. Josh Wolf. Yeah, he's you another C.J. Brown. I mean, there's like tons of guys that are kicking around, coaching, doing stuff. C.J. I guess C.J. I've not haven't been as wide, big a fan on because I watched his one year when he was with Aurora Borealis and he was just mailing it in there. And I'm like, you know what? You can't. I think the- I think C.J. Oh, how about okay? Here's you a name and someone sure. who's still around Chicago, kicking around has stuff to do here. Pavel Pardo. Ooh, I like Is it. it. That's yeah. a, yes. I wouldn't be against that, but like I said, if, if you ask me if you want to make a splash in this town, like you, I, I think you're right, Eric Winalda is one name, and I think, like I said, Jill Ellis is another one that shouldn't that should at least be brought in interviewed seriously. Mm-hmm. And I and I look at and I look at the team, you know, I'm, for basketball I watched the Milwaukee Bucks. They interviewed Becky Hammond for the GM job, they interviewed her for coach. I mean, they took it seriously, and I think that's what she, I think you need to. I think that's the one you need to look at is get take a look at her. And if they hired Winalda, I would. I oh my god, I'd be, I I love him in Vegas, but I yeah. But the, then again, but then again, the guy from Fe- the guy from Phoenix Rising, the, their coach, and I got I'm gonna forget his name, blank on his name now. That's another one I would absolutely look at if you're gonna fire Panovich. Yeah, well, I mean, Didier Drogba is a pretty smart. Well, Didier Drogba. You know, well, he's. Uh, that's what I'm saying. He hires good coaches. Yeah, yeah, but Drogba wasn't the money guy, and he. He was, he was, it's Rick Chance, I think it is. He was brought in, but he was the interim coach. He used to play for Phoenix. It was Arizona United, and he was, uh, whoever they had left, left to go coach somewhere else. <laughs> he took him to the USL finals, and then won 20 games in a row this year. So the dude, the dude's got some coaching chops. So, yeah. 
Anyway, all right. All right, we're gonna have to wrap this one up. I heard. The I heard. Boss just got home. All right, we will. We'll, we'll have to do this again. We'll have to do this again when we have more time. So, this was I appreciate fun. you coming on. Yeah, it was great. We'll have to do it again. Anytime you're welcome to. All right. Absolutely, it was fun. Uh, good time being on the show. Hope everyone's not completely asleep by now. But whatever. And go Youth find soccer him. and. Uh, yep, he's at O'Leary's. What O'Leary's cow? Is that your that your Twitter handle? I don't know, man. What yeah. is it? It's a, it, whatever. It's a, they're probably following me. If not, then if just they're not, they should be. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that later. So, all right. Appreciate the time, Brian. We'll talk again soon. All right, bud. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Minivan dad. Minivan dad. Minivan dad. Soccer pod with TJ. And here we go with part two of the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod, episode 22. 22 shows, and for this part, I have been blessed with the talent of Hack Guy Pat. Well, hello there. Who stopped watching the Packers and Eagles long enough to record with me for a little bit. And and I do appreciate the time. And in the, I know the Packers and Eagles, I know you could care less about that, which is why we couldn't get Conspiracy Chris tonight. He, he decided the Packers are more important, and I'm sure... Haven't checked Twitter in a while. Is Chris calling this game a conspiracy against yes. the referees that are conspiring against the Packers? Yes, that is my understanding. Okay. And I wasn't really watching it, but from what I can tell on Twitter from Chris, that yes, there is a conspiracy afoot. Oh, there always is. So, yeah. Those darn referees, they're always out to get the Packers. And I've been a Packer fan forever. And I even I don't care that much. So, I had... O'Leary's cow, Brian, Brian on earlier. And we talked a lot about more than I thought we would about being soccer dads. Mm-hmm. And he's a soccer coach and talking about youth soccer and coaching. And we found, and I found a tweet this week and I'm going to read it, the tweet thread in its entirety. So those who have read it before, I apologize. You're going to hear it again, but it was from the Chris Castle from Chris Castle. I don't agree with Chris Kessel's take on pro rel. He's a he's a pro rel he's a pro relic. A bro rel, call it whatever you will. But he gets involved with but he does everything in the youth game you want people to do. He's a board member on his a soccer club. He's a president or he's a president of the soccer league, president of soccer club, coaches, he's a referee, he does everything. He is involved in the youth game you want everybody to be in. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't agree on his pro rel stance, but I love his passion for youth so- for soccer and growing in America. You want if everybody did that, this the sport would take off in this country if, if they had that level of commitment to doing the game. And that said, he talked about youth soccer as a whole in this country. Even Taylor Twelman chimed in on this, and um, but I want to read his full tweet tweet uh, tweet thread because i think it's important to hear and i kind of want to get your take and kind of lead in the discussion from there so this is from chris kessel and and is he and he can be found at the chris kessel it's the term recreational soccer was created by people who didn't want the sport to be as competitive as the traditional american sports it was intentional travel soccer was created by those who wanted to take it serious it was co-opted by those who saw they could make money off of it Every level of soccer governance has failed when it comes to the children who played the game in this nation. Rec soccer used to be, is used as a pejorative nationally. Basically, every single player starts in some sort of rec program. True. If you take rec too serious, you are ostracized. 
Why don't you go play club? This isn't what rec is for. Why are you so serious? Well, kids, the kids deserve the best we can offer them, no matter who they, they play for, first and foremost. That is a fact. We have hundreds and of thousands, if not millions, of players in the United States playing in underdeveloped rec programs within clubs and leagues, and the kids are being screwed over by it. By not taking the majority of the sport serious, we are setting the tone for what the game is. Now, what does taking it seriously mean? Coaching education, amount of practice time, opportunity for growth, competitions, etc. The hyper-localized community-based soccer is part of youth soccer that, that needs fixed. Then needs fixed. This is where basically every player starts. This is the entry point for every single family that isn't a soccer first family already. This is where things are most broken. This is where, as a national soccer culture, change can and will happen. This is where investment needs to happen. This is where the keep them playing as long as possible at as high of a, as a level as possible will happen. This is where we are going to be able to find thousands and thousands of coaches who really care about kids. These are the ones who need to be trained how to develop players. These kids care. They care just as much about much as your child that you pay big money to play club soccer for. They don't want to lose. They want to get better. They want to win. They want to have fun. They want to play with their friends with other good players. They are kids, just like your kid that plays club or travel or whatever you want to call it. Call it where you are. They all deserve the best environment we that we can give them. Not to be forgotten about, used as a bank account for club business or relegated to crap programs. We need change when it comes to soccer in this country for all the players, not just the ones at the top. And he finishes with the hashtag Reform USSF and ProRel for USA, neither of which I think are relevant to this, but... I thought this was, I read this and I just thought this is something to talk about as a parent. We're both parents of soccer players that are in the, that are in the travel system. We both, and I've got, and we each have one in the rec system, correct? Correct. Yes. That is yeah. correct. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, I like to, okay. So my son's a really serious soccer player. My older son. As is mine. My older son plays basketball in a rec league and nobody thinks it's weird or anything like that. He just plays basketball because he wants to play some basketball. He's not expecting to be a great basketball player, but he's decent at it and it's fun and it's a good sort of shoulder season thing to do in when the soccer season's winding down in the winter. Um, there are certain people out there in the soccer community that if a kid is playing in a rec league, and I coach a rec league now, so I, I think I can speak with some level of authority on this. I, I, there's certain people that are, that are, they look down on it. Like, why are you, it's, it's not a good thing or it's not a serious thing or whatever. And granted, there are some kids in the rec league who don't enjoy soccer. Maybe it'll be their only time in it. Maybe their parents were just trying to force them to do something to get involved in sports. And soccer is a pretty easy one to join up, but you know, as, as a, as a parent and a coach of a kid in a rec league, it's, and ours is a pretty good one. I think um, it's gotta be coached with a certain level of competence because you have to realize that it is the entry level for, 
the the starting point for a lot of kids. There are kids that are even, you know, some kids that are older that could be late bloomers that you could catch and, and maybe they really like it and maybe they do want to uh, play at a higher level. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they just like to play soccer and that's the level they like to play at and that's the level their parents can afford. And that's the, you know, it, it's not just the money with parents, it's a time commitment too. Maybe that's all their parents can get them to. And if that's it, we should make that as good of an experience as we can make it like little league baseball or, or whatever other, you know, pop Warner football or whatever other, uh, quote unquote American sport they're trying. We, we need to make it worthwhile. It can't be crap. We, I, I think back of, of when I started playing soccer was in a rec league and it was garbage. Now, granted that was the eighties, but I can remember some of the things we were doing in, in, uh, practice and i would like never do those things now but um it was a bunch of dads trying their best at the time and it was a you know in the 80s it wasn't i won't say it was a new sport but it was it was still kind of exotic and kind of you know it, it was, wasn't it like was, it is now it was new to the extent of you didn't have at the, especially at the rec level and and i went you know i i can think back to my rec level days as well my dad was my coach and my dad never mm-hmm. played soccer my I, my dad first time i think he watched soccer was when my older brother was playing rec soccer he was a parent who did other sports trying to fill in and learn the game he was learning from a book and i think that's when you and i were growing up that's what you ran into is you didn't have any gen, you didn't have generations in, unless you were from an immigrant in, family correct yeah and where, where I grew up, there weren't a lot of immigrant families. I'm not going to lie. I grew up in white bread, Wisconsin. I mean, that's just, that's how it is. Um, and, but it wasn't like now where you had players that were, or coaches that at least have been exposed to soccer at some level. And as I've read through this aloud, I, I guess what I come back to is he's right in that this is an opportunity for a lot of these players to get, and and I feel like he's right. And the rec program is the forgotten program. And we, and I agree, we, you know, I, I, the park district I play for that, my, my, that Charlie came up through in Glen Ellen park district, the Lizzie's playing in now, I want to say they had 30 kindergarten teams, 20 teams. 20 or 30 kindergarten teams at eight, at eight players on a team. Oh my God. So obviously all these kids, these, these are a lot, a lot of these teams are getting the same level of coaching. They're just getting a dad out there that can. And you might get a great dad and you might not. Yeah. It's, you know what though? You don't have to be a incredibly soccer savvy person. And it helps because when you start getting into the details of things, you can learn things as you gain experience and talk to sure. veteran coaches. As long as you're enthusiastic and you're making sure that the kids have a ball at their feet at a young age for most of your practice, getting as many touches as they can, mm-hmm. and they're walking away thinking it was fun, you didn't fail. You don't suck as a coach. And 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 that's and you're you're right on. And that's ninety percent of it. The last ten percent you can dial in. And I go to kindergarten and I talk about that because in, in, Lizzie plays pre-K and pre-K their practice, they don't practice at all during the week. They practice for the first half hour. They play the last half hour 
and that's their game. That's their every week. Where kindergarten, they at least got one practice a week. And I tell you, I've been around soccer all my life. I'd like to think I have somewhat of a decent soccer mind, although I'm sure you and Chris would disagree with that. Yeah, you know what you're doing. I went back through, and I did the grassroots, and I did the 4v4. Mm -hmm. The new, in the the online, yeah. It's $25. It's not a huge investment. I feel like park district programs as a whole should almost mandate that every coach goes. I was thinking of that very thing today. And I do, you know, it it is 25 bucks for me to, to, I did the national F about four years ago when they still had it when, which is basically the same thing. When, um, when I first started being like a dad parent coach with my older son and I found it to be really helpful. And I know like there's a lot of coaches as higher level coaches that will shit on some of the stuff that us soccer is putting out, but the basics that they're putting out are small sided games so that the kids can't hide because if you do big games at a young age, there will be kids that do not touch the ball the entire time. And if the kid doesn't touch the ball, they will hate soccer. And what's the point? So small sided games where you're always one pass away from the ball, uh, keeping it in a fairly small field so kids get a sense of boundaries and direction and that sort of thing and keeping the drills and things minimizing the lines making you know kid maximizing the touches keeping the kids with their feet at the ball i do the rec league here in town for the the our club runs the rec league for the local park district so we we're pretty lucky to have that as a park district which is how I got involved in the club in the first place. And I also do uh, two days a week. I do like an intro to soccer class through, um, through two of the local park districts, through the camp side of our club. Mm-hmm. And I do this in all of it and it works. You, you largely not a hundred percent. There will always be the kid that wants to sit down and you can only do so much for those kids, but largely they have fun and largely they have the ball at their feet the entire time. And that's, I think at the very young ages, that's the key. And 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 I think you nailed it. You hit the nail on the head. It's you want them to have fun. You want them to have the ball at their feet. And if they hate soccer at the end of it, you're not. There's, there's nothing be a you've done. Yeah. But you know, and I saw I saw somewhere, and I and I don't recall where it was. Maybe Twitter, Facebook. It was one of the two. And it was talking about kids. I feel don't quit. And it was. The paraphrase that kids don't quit playing soccer because they're playing too many games. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. And and what I would do is same. And I would do the same things. I would U.S. soccer. You go and use their resources. I'd find practices and and run them verbatim. Why? Because when I'm coming off of work, I didn't have time to think about it. This I could just print it out. I could review it during the day. And I had already thought my way through a practice. It had games. It had practices. I, you know, where I disagree is I don't feel, and maybe when you get to the higher levels above the the seven v seven, the four v four, you start getting more into involving tactics into practice. But yeah, and that's where, yeah, exactly, and that's where you'll have like I've had high level coaches completely disagree on whether it should you should base your practice on possession or you should base on transition or you know. Well, and and I think U.S. Soccer does a great job of having practices that work on each one of those things, transitioning offense to defense, stop preventing goals, scoring goals, you know, movement to space. Mm-hmm. They, they do a good job of that. But my, I guess I was kind of going where I felt, I think these programs are missing is 
basic ball skills. Touches so, on the ball are great. Yes. You do develop some, but I do feel you do need to have some learn how to do like a, a pullback, a step over, things like that. You the, do need to Those are the first, the very first things I teach in the very first class. Every time I have a new class, the very first thing I teach is a pullback. Just sure. because I feel like it's a great little move that helps a kid manipulate a ball and not reach down and touch it with their hands. It's, sure. And I... And as you get higher up, I, I've got two friends who are pretty high-level coaches. One was a former professional. I don't want to say their names, but they completely disagree. One of them s- feels that passing is the – teaching a player to, to think and pass is the most important thing. And the other says, you can teach that later on, but you can't teach the killer ball skills later on. They have to come as young as possible and that's what you need to focus on. And then once you have players who are killers with the ball at their feet, then you can start working in the passing. And I don't know what I believe. I think both are obviously very I, important. That, but, was gonna be my, my next, that was going to be my next question. Which way did you but, see it? And But it's probably true that you can teach passing a little later. You can't teach that certain level of, of ball skill. It has to start and, young. And, and, I, and I think – in. It's funny, it, and it's funny. This is a great. It's a great. I think the opposite. I think you need to teach the passing first, and and not necessarily passing, vision, seeing, field, vision. Yeah, that's seeing different. The, yes. And and I and I feel and that's where the passing comes in. Being able to see the field, being able what? to. Okay, so what this coach does not, and that's a great point. You've got to be able to see the field and understand the game. But what he, we we have a coach who specifically hates it. When a player, let's say a winger, is in trouble, he steps on the ball and turns and switches it back to either the goalkeeper or or a, the center back or whatever. Most coaches like that because it's a smart soccer move. He wants you to figure out how to get by him, and he's well, like, and, at this age, I want I want the players to figure out how to get by that person. And I and I guess I'm, I'm more so I'm more I, the one that I'm more the one know, that would think that thinks the opposite. I would rather see him make that pass make back or that sure. pass I, and not not because yeah. it's necessarily smart. Because it happens, some I've watched my own son dribbling down and have a ton of space. He'll turn around and just pass it back. Is that the right play? No. But is he looking for passing at a young age? If you're looking for passing at a young age, you're learning to play with your head up. And that's and that's where I see. I, I would rather them make and and I, I've had this conversation with parents on the sideline. They're like. Every time they, they play that, just play it down the line. You can always play it down the line. You always play it down the line. Can you always play it down the line, though? No. Actually, sometimes the middle is the better play. Correct. And, yeah, and if you're but creating if you robots, it, then, yeah. It, well, it's, not only that, it's if you're creating robots, not only that, if, you're, if they're told they can't go down the middle, they become afraid of it. And that's what you don't, you don't, and it's, and I think I've, you and I have mentioned, I've mentioned this on this pod before, is, you don't want to be have any tool. You want to have as many tools in your bag as you can, mm-hmm. as many clubs in your bag. Call it whatever you want to call it. Just that you want to be able to have confidence in making that pass down the middle that may not didn't look good, wasn't as easy as a younger age, but eventually gets there. You want to be able to do it, be able to do it confidently. And if you don't do it at a young age, you're not going to have confidence in it. And that's why I've watched some bad passes lead to goals against, and just be like, you know what? And the co- and I, I bless her coach. She'll sit there and just say that was a good idea. It, 
it didn't work out, but it was a good idea. If you see a kid's, that's, that's an important coaching thing to me. Uh, it transitions a little bit, but if, if you see a thought process, mm-hmm. you cannot kill that kid's spirit. But how, right? many, but how many, but how many games do you watch? And, we're in travel soccer, so we oh can my see that they they do they berate. Yeah, and it's it's actually it's it's ridiculous, and you can and you can tell the type of club you're playing against. If it's a coach who, and we we have that kind of uh, culture at our club, where especially at the young ages, if if you you're not going to berate a kid for for making a bad pass and you're especially not if you see that there is a thought process there you're like okay maybe it's this next time or maybe you go this way next time or or this this is something that you could have done differently so they learn right but you can tell the type of club you're playing against almost instantly because the if an opposing coach is the opposite if he's yelling at children that we had a situation where we played a club in indiana a couple years ago and my son's a really good dribbler, and he kept getting by a kid every time. The kid would bite and fall, and and their coach kept screaming at the kid. And he said, if that kid went, gets by you one more time, I'm sitting you for the rest of the game. And my son got by him instantly, and he turned and punched my son in the face. And I'm like, I, I wasn't even totally mad at the kid. No, I'd be, ma- I'd be mad at the coach. Yeah, he, he panicked because the coach is sitting there berating him. I don't think the coach could have stopped my son in that game. Honestly, he was a fat ass. But it, you know what? If if that's the type of soccer that you want your kid to go play, I don't think he's going to be very successful, or she's going to be very successful in the long run. It's it, and it, you know, as you get older, there's a time to get on kids, sure. um, and and some kids feed off that, but. Um, at a really young age, I think it's ridiculous. And and when you see a coach start with that stuff instantly, you know there's going to be other shithousery. They're, they've taught diving or yeah, no, other, and, and, other, or bad oh my, tackling or oh my, I yeah. Let me let me step on that one, and I apologize for stuff. I you know, and I've talked about it before, and you know this, and everybody who follows U.S. Fan TV or Minivan Dad Pod, I'm an old I'm a referee. Or have been a referee. You are. I was. That's true. Well, I mean, I can't see a damn thing, so I'm a perfect referee. But the amount of, you're, you're talking about shithousery, and to see it at 11 and 12 years old, it's kids looking to take a dive. Yeah. And, and even this past weekend, we were playing. Uh, a certain team. Chicago pl- fire player's dad teaches his coaches, teaches his players to dive around the box all the time, and he's happy to admit it. And, and, and that to me is, and that's vile. And I watched, and again, I watched my son's team. We played this, we played another, and they, they beat them both times. And they had this girl who was probably three or four inches taller than, than, than Charlie. And she was the best player on their team and she could play. She absolutely could. And no problem. But, oh my God, the level of awful tackles. This girl, when she got, when you could tell she wasn't used to losing, she wasn't used to losing the ball. Right. She'd lose the ball and then. I, I kid you not, I saw a two-footed studs-up tackle. Now, thankfully, she missed everything, so she didn't even get a foul call. I'm like going, if she touches somebody, this is U9. I'm like going, you almost got to card that. Right. It was that level of, and the coach let this happen and didn't pull her aside and say. So you, you know it's coached. 
you know he's he's either he's either teaching it or at the very least he's okay with it. And, and I'm, as a parent, I'm sitting there going, and as a referee, and the the coach, the parent, and the parents do look to me because they know I referee. referee. When I react at a referee, they usually know I've got some validity to where I'm going. Like we had a, you know, and we we can tell stories about that forever. But yeah, that she does this, and they're looking at me. I'm going, my hands up, like I don't know it. And I guess kind of to come full, to get this kind of back where it was is. In travel soccer, there's a lot of coaches that need to work on being. Po- in U.S. soccer, I, to their credit, does a great job of always trying to say it has to stay positive. And I will tell you, that's the one place I quote coach unquote coach uh, when I'm watching my son's game is if I see something that I think from a soccer perspective is great. And whether it's you talking about as a coach or as a dad, as a dad. Okay. If I see some passing that I, you know, I think is great, they string some passes together, whether it amounts to anything or not. I'm the first one to be like, that was great passing. That was great. And I feel like instead of berating the kid, which I'll get to another piece in a second is I feel like that's what parents, if you want to be a quote unquote coach on the sideline was a parent, that's the things you look for. You find the things that work out from a soccer perspective. Well, and you encourage positive soccer. Don't discourage things that don't work encourage yeah, don't, it's got to be yeah. it's got to be encouraging yeah. and don't yell instructions at your kid be, unless it's something you know the coach is also yelling at them and they're just not hearing maybe you help out the coach there and say hey coach wants you to do this but yeah. other than that you don't need to because you don't know specifically what the coach has told them it, it might be you know he told the kid to stay higher and you're yelling at him to drop and and something like that and you're conf- you're you're putting confusing. the kid, you're confusing kid. I see it. There's, there's some specific examples I'd love to share, but I won't where it's, it's actually sickening to me where parents are giving their kids, their kids playing on an Island compared to the rest of the team. Sure. And it, it just absolutely drives me nuts. But um, you don't know what the coach said. So let the coach coach. There's now you can jump in as a dad. If you see a, your kid do something dirty or yell at a but teammate. You're, but you're not well, you're not jumping in as a coach. You're jumping in as a dad. That's a parenting thing, yeah. Or and parent. Again, as a you, parent. Yes. You can leave that up to the coach, or you can say something. I feel like you, you don't want to be yelling the whole time, but uh, if you yell the whole time, the kid's going to completely tune you out anyway. So yeah. you have to make what you're saying count. So if you want to say something, and if if there's a parenting issue, you can you can say something. If there's something that positive happens, you could say something. Sometimes if my son's having kind of a, it's rare, but if he's having kind of a, a game okay. where he's yeah, if he's a little bit off, I'll be like, hey man, you're better than this. Let's go. If he's and I don't even yell that loudly, right? Mm-hmm. I, I sure. There's there's lots of parents that will yell like, um, get him the ball or down the line or or or, or you're offside, or I don't even like telling a kid that he's offside because you're also telling the referee that the kid's offside. And sometimes the refs don't notice it. So, and, and see, I, I, and I, and I fully disagree. And (laughs) you and I will disagree with that. I will tell when, when, when my son goes offside, I'll tell him he's offside. And I don't care if the referee hears me because I want the referee to be able to call offsides both ways. And if he's not seeing it, when it's obvious that my kid is, then he, I want to be able to see it on both ends. So I just kind of make it obvious, like, Hey, this one's an easy one. 
look for it kind of thing, you know. So that and and that's and that's all fine and good. I mean that, but that that's the ref, that's it. that's as much me coaching referees as it is. I feel that it is even parenting. So you got to keep it fairly. Oh no, I do it brief. both ways. I, I'm both yeah. ways on that one. You got to keep it positive, and and <laughs> I, I do. I I want to ask you at some point, and maybe this isn't the show, but one, how much is appropriate to yell at a referee, and when is it appropriate? Because I have some ideas on this, but you know, um, and and, we, and I and I that's a great transition. I appreciate it because we. I'll be more than happy to answer that question because we actually faced that this weekend. Um, the second game we played in the tournament, we had a referee that stood. In the center circle and rotated around? No, he moved a little bit. He moved like 10 yards to one side. but never I, I would be way. willing to bet money on who it was. We'll talk about it after we get off the air. Absolutely. I could describe this person to you. As, as what I, and what I always told when I would referee, because I stopped doing adult games a long time ago because I'm old and I'm fat and I'm lazy. And when I would work with young referees, what I would tell them when they were assistants for me is be in position and work hard. If you're in position and you make a call, I can justify that. I can sell that call. Right. Where I can't sell a call is when you're not trying, when you're out of position or you're not trying. If you look disinterested and aren't trying, I can't sell it because everybody else sees that. If you're in position and if your call can be 100% wrong, and if I go with it because I don't see what you're looking at, but I can still sell, hey, they're in position, that's the call to make. I think from a referee's perspective, where, where I get on referees' cases isn't if they're missing calls necessarily it's if they're missing calls because they're not trying they're not working they're yeah. not in position if you are in position and a kid gets shit housed and you just didn't see it i'm not going to yell about it right if exactly yard, if you're 30 40 exactly yards exactly play, then you can say sir how can you not you miss that call because you're not in position or ma'am you're not in position you can't call you can't that happened to Finn. Because you're not trying. Why, uh, why yeah. when you're out there just for a paycheck? It, it was a 9v9 game, and the guy was working without ARs, which is tough. But he, Well, that's he, U9, though. But that's 9v9. That's, you don't get ARs, typically. We usually have them. I don't. So, he, we, we so the, the guy from the center circle calls my son off sure. uh, at the 18. And it was like I was right in line. It was He was a yard on and just sprinted when the ball was passed. And I, I, my immediate reaction was no, no. And then I'm like, I don't want to yell at the ref. He's, he's, he's doing his best, but he really wasn't. He was way far back cause he was out of shape. And in, but at the same time, he's out there actually working at children's soccer game and we need them. So, Absolutely. but and so it- the nose came out of my mouth and then I shut myself up. But the one time I will get on a ref is if you are playing one of those shithousery clubs, mm-hmm. they inevitably will have a coach that works the refs. And sure. if it's a younger ref, they get and the ref will buy the in. ref will start buying in. And that's when I do believe that I'm fine saying something because that's when it's, it turns chippy and violent and they're losing control. And that's, and, that, when and, that's not, and that's, and that's a safety issue. 
Yeah, ex- and that's where I exactly on a safety issue. And I there was a specific game where, sure, I believe a team was trying to knock my son out of the game, uh, and the ref was just completely buying into what the other coach was saying. And and our coach was staying fairly quiet because our coaches fairly usually do. And that was actually frustrating me because in that case, I thought he should have, he should have been more uh, vocal about it. You know, and and I, and I've been through games like that where I'm, I'm sure I got berated, you know, treated the same way as a, as a referee where I, where I'm, I watched the game but I, the last thing I always like to do is I, some referees are easy with it. I'm not. I don't like going. In, I'm more of the. I don't like going in my pocket unless I have to, especially at a youth game. Yeah, yeah. And it's because it's teachable moments versus non-teachable moments. And there's one particular guy we have every once in a while who sure. it's an older guy who will just start throwing out cards against kids. I'm like, what are you doing? Talk to him. <laughs> there's no. Why are we? Because we had a kid sitting on a yellow and he was afraid to even play because he was afraid he was going to get the second yellow. I'm like, I've never seen a red in all the games I've been to at, at U eight, U nine. I've never seen a red at that level. No, but this and kid was scared. He was going to get one. I'm like, that's why you can't give the first. It wasn't egregious. You just got to talk to him. No, you don't give it unless it's really bad. At you, the only time I think at a U under a U 10, card the only place i've ever given a card is to a coach right and that's usually the case yeah um the kid i will i will admit and maybe this is the parent in me i'll walk over take a knee and explain why they can't do it and if i feel the kid's getting out of control i'll walk over and tell the coach you need to take him off the field or then i have to do something and i don't want to do it because i don't want to destroy the kid and i had a kid i it was a U U eleven U twelve game, and they were getting shit out. The team was getting shit housed. This kid became a hack, and he got that dirty. happens, yeah. And yeah. because he was a kid reacting, and so I walked over to yep. I walked over to the coach. I just said, "Hey, can you take him out of the game for the rest of the way?" There was like five seven minutes left. It was an indoor game, and he says, "Why well, is I said because otherwise I'm probably going to red card him." I said, "And I don't want you going down for five minutes. You're already getting shit housed. I'd rather just let's have this kid come off, and you can work with him." He goes, "Yeah, no problem." And that was the resolution. And my, I guess my point is referee and young referees aren't going to be able to do this. That was a being able to do it as a parent or as a grown up being able to do that. Kids aren't young referees aren't going to be able to do that, but we don't have, we lose a lot of the young referees because we have a lot of older referees who won't work with them. Won't give up middles because all I wanted middle, because I don't want to be on a line. And you know what? You can teach a lot more from the line. And there's you know what? There was this, this, it's funny you say that at a tournament earlier this year, we had an older guy who was working the line and he gave the middle to a younger kid. And like the older guy was like joking with the parents and stuff like that. He was always in the right spot. Mm-hmm. He, he was like exactly the type of guy you want involved with refereeing with, with youth soccer. And, uh, and I thought to myself, he probably purposely gave this kid the, the middle. And uh, because yeah. he's, wanting to teach and help well in in it and it's twofold in a tournament if if a tournament's being scheduled right you should never do more than a middle you you get with the crew a crew of three or four you wrote keep rotating people out and you keep you do two lines you do one in the middle okay and if it's being done correctly now you've got some referees that will only do middles and you have to accommodate those just to have enough to do it but um 
I, I like going out to the lines with young referees sometimes. And the reason why I, when I did referee, I love doing it is because you're not only letting them get experience in the middle, you're showing them what a line should look like. Mm-hmm. And that's as important as it is. You want them to be able to see, hey, this is what a good line should look like. So they can learn from it. Again, we're talking about 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids that need to learn that as well. How to react, how to interact, and it, it, it's a bigger picture. And it's funny, the younger referee never would have done this, but as I've gotten older, that's kind of where I'm at, and that's the same as the coach is. It's teaching. And kind of to bring it back to Chris's thing about rec soccer, He's right. It's the most underserved population. Because yeah, the, you know what are you getting? It, all this conversation about ARs and refs and sure and coaches and and it's mostly just parents and park district employees and things like that at the rec level mm-hmm. in most places. So yeah, it's do you do you do you start doing things like getting the park districts to pay for? 4v4, 7v7 coaching. I mean, what's is there a solution? How do you make this better? How do you make this where kids learn the game and not just... The other thing is it, it almost dies out. Rec soccer does. Like the, the demand for... In some places it doesn't, but like after like a third grade kind of, Absolutely. It's either you've you've gone one way or the other. And there's not a ton of, of kids who are going to go, well, I just want to play rec soccer. But you can't tell me there isn't some baseball player out there who's really focused who just wants to play some soccer on the side. And rec would be a great, you know, it, there's a lot of people like this or just a person who is a great student but just wants to play a, a little bit of it, like not as dead serious of a sport. It's it is important that we're, we're making sure that this is propped up and it's, and I don't know, I never heard the story that, that calling it rec in the first place was supposed to diminish it. But I will say when we were growing up, it was a sport that you played as a little kid that got you to another sport and in most cases. So, and that's not the case anymore, but um, maybe it's time to to rebrand it, resell it. You know, it's, um, it's just it should just be normal that kids want to play soccer and increasingly it is but if you don't have two grand this is the way to go you know now and then i guess kind of the the caveat off that is chris is making the argument i i feel like that there should be enough coaching in rec soccer that you're able to find these unpolished gems or whatever the case may be and I'm not, I guess I'm not as sure about that. And it's Is, not, I argued with, yeah, I, I argued this point with a guy at a bar, weirdly enough. And he was saying that, you know, the best, best athletes don't play. It's the old, if LeBron played soccer argument. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but there's a certain point, you know how you hear about like the basketball player who didn't pick up a ball till he was 16 and suddenly he's in the NBA that's impossible in soccer. I firmly believe you cannot 
not play soccer until the age of 16. And then suddenly your athletic skills alone, because there's a certain amount of just brain training and, and muscle training that needs to go into something that's unnatural to all of us, that kicking of a ball. It's, it's, it's foot, it's foot eye coordination. Yeah. It's weird. It's a weird thing. And I, I don't believe that maybe there's a, a one in a billion player out there, but I don't believe largely that you can play soccer super late and be good at it. it and I, I think you can in a sport like basketball. Um, not to say that, you know, first it, that's only going to be a freak player right there because, you know, you, in most cases, you got to put in all the work that you possibly can from a young age, but it's even harder. It's, it's almost impossible in soccer. So are we really at the rec level beyond say second grade or third grade? Are we really going to find somebody who's just phenomenal? I think that we only will if they had some level of training before they got there, whether it's, they've just been playing in a neighborhood or with their parents or in a Mexican league or something. And then they move to a, it's, you know, I don't know how many of these gems are out there beyond a certain age before that age. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few. Um, and, and rec soccer is, you don't start at travel and, you know, Maybe you do. Maybe some people do, but um, we didn't. It's not, the, not the norm. No, and it, and it's funny is we didn't. Um, there's almost Charlie, like a yeah. You got to kind of earn it, right? Like there's almost, well, and and it, yeah. And I and I like telling this story because it's it's fun to talk about in the sense of when I first got married and we had kids, and when Charlie was little, Katie was like, I I've always been. I think there's going to be a point he's going to need to go play travel soccer if he plays. And she kept saying, well, sixth grade, seventh grade, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like going, yeah, no. I'm like, no. And, but I never, I never fought it. But as he came through the program, as he did pre-K and I was coaching, I, and I coached him all the way through. So he got he got decent coaching, especially compared to a lot of his peers, to the point where there were a lot of parents that were seeking out being on his team because they knew they were getting good coach. Like just they watch me coach a game, they'd watch me coach a practice. Right. And they wanted their kids in that type of program. And but the last season he played in rock soccer was my wife is the one that said he can't play rec anymore. And it was because he stopped having fun. It because I his brain was moving faster than the other kids. It was that I wouldn't let him yeah. keep scoring goals over and over because it right. wasn't fun for the other right. kids. And he'd start getting mad at his teammates and be like, "You need yeah. to run here. You need to look for a path." Right. He was seeing the game. Wait, yeah. His it's brain a mental thing. It's he a was, mental thing. Right. His, he had he had evolved past it. And she's the one that said, you, "You know what? He needs to go somewhere else. He needs to move up." And I'm like. Yes. And I, and we did that and we've been lucky enough where we can't afford to do that. And I kind of want to talk. That's where Chris is right though. Like for the parents who can't, who don't have the money or the time Mm -hmm. for the kid, who's that good, there should still be a place for him to go. Well, and I feel it's driving hours for games and stuff like that. Sure. And you know what, but our, you know, you can still get on clubs that, 
are on the bottom end of that. Yeah, that's true. That's fair point. And I feel yep. like clubs have gotten away. There's lots of different right. degrees of clubs. That's true. Correct. But clubs have gotten away from things that fundraisers, honestly. Does your club do any fundraisers? No. Neither does ours. When I was a kid, did your club, when you played, did you play, you played club soccer growing up, didn't you? I didn't. I only played rec. Oh, I grew up playing club soccer. And guess what? We did fundraisers. Yeah. My, my parents were like, travel, soccer. No, you're not doing that. You, like, honestly, I, I mean, anybody who, if anybody that grew up with me would listen to this, I used to take, and this is for our swim club, I would take a $50 worth, $50 worth of candy bars to school every day and I would sell them almost every damn day. And, that was in junior high, but I mean, there were fundraisers out there, potential things out there. Scouts do it. We do, you know, you do your popcorn, you do your wreaths, you do all that yeah. stuff for scouts. There are fundraisers out there. I feel like club soccer's gotten away from that and looking for ways, looking for local sponsorships, things like that. And that, as much as anything, I think is a key. You need to make that intermediate level affordable. Some clubs do. Not enough. Yeah. At least not by me. And maybe it's because parents don't have the time and they don't want to do it. But if it's important enough for your kid to do it, you're going to find the time. At least I feel that. You know, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It's a, yeah. I, I I would agree with you, but I don't think every parent would. Sure. sure. And it just might be the nature of the work and whatever they do and things like that. But I, I tell you, I've also seen... Um, had I've seen some fairly wealthy parents who for them and maybe their kids interest level travel soccer was a drop in the bucket so it basically was rec soccer you want to go play soccer here's soccer yeah you know? um I've also seen there's one kid in particular whose parents are fairly wealthy and he's the hardest working player I've I've seen at it he is at our club so it, that, that doesn't make them no um being having wealthy parents doesn't mean anything but except that your parents can afford to just some parents just throw money at things sure. so um other parents you know make you earn it but yeah it's it's uh you see what happens in you know germany or mexico or whatever their version of club soccer it, were these local clubs that run run the teams if you know if it's not Borussia Dortmund or whoever that's it, their their academy there it's a it's a more affordable sure uh attainable thing for ev- for a wider group of people and there's no differentiation between the rec and the the travel it is just oh this is our club this is where we're going to go play and and we pay our dues at our club and it's not cost prohibitive to this degree so it is something we have to figure out as a country and, and, and you know, the, the pro rel people say that that's the answer. And I don't know that it is in a country this large, but no, it, 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 I don't think it is. I think, I think getting back and maybe this is something that only works in suburbia and cities and things like that is regional soccer leagues. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm talking like within a 30 mile radius, you, you have enough teams to, to play. Or twenty mile where you're not driving an hour, two hours, or across state lines to play a weekend game, and 
I felt like as a kid, that's, you know, I grew up 30 minutes west of Milwaukee, and we would the furthest we would ever go for a game might be Racine, might be Kenosha, which is it's 40 or 50 miles, but right. it's 40, it's, it was it wasn't into Illinois. It wasn't all the way up to Green Bay. It wasn't out to Madison or beyond. You know, it wasn't that far. And those games in Racine and Kenosha were few and far between. It was mostly into Waukesha, into Milwaukee, maybe the Milwaukee sub, the north suburbs of Milwaukee. I mean, up to the Bavarian sport, you know, Milwaukee sport club, the Serbians on the south and Croatians on the south side. You didn't get away from that. And, and, and then as I got older, it even got more regionalized because that's when some of the local cl- towns started having clubs. We play in Dallas, we play in Pewaukee. And I know none of these names make you, but anybody who grew up in my area knows those. Like every town had a club and you didn't have to travel. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's the hook. You know, for us going to, for us where we live, just playing Downers, playing Wheaton, playing yeah. Bloomingdale, you know, playing... We're not where you're going all the way down to Beverly, you know, for us as a U8, which we did last year. We went out to Plano. And I know for those who are not from this area, don't have any, we're talking 50, we're talking an hour plus for a U8 game. <laughs> yeah, I've done it. I've done it. Northwest Indiana and, and yeah, Waukee. I'm going to Waukegan this weekend. It's my own club's tournament though, but um, yeah, I have refereed that tournament. Um, Sadly enough, yeah, it's uh, it's far, and if if it's and I'm an idiot, right? Like it's well, my yeah. favorite thing. I enjoy it. I enjoy watching my kids play. I enjoy hanging out with the other parents. I enjoy the atmosphere. It's so I like to do it. But I know there's a lot of parents that are like, "Oh fuck, we got to drive an hour and what to get to this one?" It, it is. It's a little bit nuts as at a really young age. So. Yeah, I can kind of see that too. And and regional leagues, like tighter radiuses, and, and that you end up playing a lot of the same teams a lot then. And and maybe so, that's not, well, I mean, at a super young age, that's fine, right? At a, at a certain point, maybe that's not what you want, especially if you want to start breaking out your highest level kids. But No, and, um, and at, we're not talking about, we're talking about basically... I guess for lack of a better term, I'm looking at more of like a rec plus. Yeah. Where you get the coaching of. That's what we call our league super rec league for that reason. Cause it's got professional coaches that come in. Sure. But it's still, you know, parents running the games on the weekends, a lot of the time helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to travel because you're in the same spot every week, which is nice. So, and and I, and I guess, and that's what I meant. You're not even necessarily in the same time in the same like when we played rec going up, I played in other towns. I didn't just play like when I played in Wales, we would play McGuanagall, we'd play Genesee, we would play Dowson, we'd play all the local town teams in a like a in a rec. That's league. cool. Yeah. And that's I guess what I'd like to see that intermediate where it's not always playing the same park district, the same field. It's getting out a little bit to the next town over, two towns over, and not an hour. You know, like we're yeah, talking. we've also got like a, a a youth club that does that sort of thing where I live, and they do a good job with a lot of sports. But I think the drawback to their soccer is, um, it is parent coaches, so it can vary wildly as to how the level of instruction you're getting, and 
it's also much larger teams. So you're, you're absolutely a sport like soccer going to get a player that doesn't touch the ball. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really counterproductive where we were talking earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, but they do some of the playing some of the other towns, which is, is cool. So, um, and there's, you know, and I guess that if you get up in age, you know, fifth grade or whatever, sure. That's at, at that point, either got to get after the ball or you're, you're not going to play. Right. Like it's, mm-hmm. you got to get, yeah. get after it somewhat. You can have a bigger team, but at the little kid level, you know, four or five or whatever, I don't believe you got to have a small sided game. It's, it and just it's, works better. Yeah. No, I, and that's what the first half of the show when I was talking to, to Brian, the we he was saying the same thing is everything's got to be small sided. And he was talking about, it shouldn't be full sides until you you fifteen. You were saying you fifteen even. Yeah, eleven v eleven. Yeah, that's when they move, right? It's uh, 13, 14, 14? I thought. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, thirteen. Yeah, it is at thirteen. Yeah. And it's eleven twelve. It'll it'll be eleven v eleven on you on you eleven u twelve. If you're in the top level in the st- in Illinois, and yes. I don't know how other states are, but yeah, Finn just went to nine v nine at u eleven because he jumped. So sure. Um, yeah, it's and it's U eleven for two years, and then mm-hmm. and then or it's it's nine v nine for two years, and then it's eleven v eleven. Um, too many numbers, and it's too late at night. It's eleven it o'clock. It is. So we're gonna cut this one off. And I was just gonna say, I think we've rambled long enough on this. On this I topic. think you should do more on the Mini Van Dad Soccer Podcast with youth soccer because I think it's a it's a lot of people have a lot of opinions. It's really interesting. It affects a lot of people and more people can directly relate. So that's my pitch. Well, to it's, you. An itch, it's an audience. We can definitely go after. Yeah. And I, I'm not against it. We can absolutely look to go that route. And I've, I've had a lot of fun. I mean, the first half of the show with Brian, I expected it to be all fire and story reminiscing. And we spent most of the time talking about coaching youth soccer and kids playing soccer and being a soccer dad and being a soccer parent and, what we spent the whole time here, we started with Chris Kessel's thread and we kind of went off on tangents and it, it's been great. And I appreciate the time and doing this late at night. And I appreciate you keeping me away from swearing at the TV while the Packers lost tonight. So thank you for that. I'd I be excited it. at the TV. If the, did they end up losing? They lost. They had, tw- they were twice Good. in the red zone and yep, they, nope, no points out of it. So excellent. Yeah. Um, so the, the pod is it's at minivan dad, Dad Pod, you're at Patrick McCraney. I'm at TJ Zaremba. I appreciate everybody listening. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe on what is Spotify, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Try and grow the show and tell us what you want at Minivan Dad Pod, and we'll be more than happy to probably accommodate it because we're talking soccer, and talking soccer is a good thing. So, Pat, thanks again, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll do it again soon. Yep. See ya. Do you remember the minivan dad Zarimba? He's got a minivan.